Hello, hello and welcome to Cut to Reveal, a podcast where we discuss the editing art form and all the challenges, hurdles that come with that career path. My name is Piotr and I'm here with my co-host Ricky. Ricky, how are you? I'm doing well. Just like Peter, I'm a video editor. I've been doing this for the past 20 years and with that experience, I can really tell that while editing is a skill you can learn in a week, it really takes a lifetime to master. Uh, good point. And we wanted to start this podcast with a topic that is universal and crucial for anyone who's getting into filmmaking, but has a special bond with editing. Someone who really considers himself as an editor first. And we figured out that should be focused on director-editor relationship, because what else is more important than that? No matter what stage you're on in your career, it will have an enormous impact on the results of your work, but also on the excitement and the pleasure you get out of it. Yeah, I mean, subscribers of your YouTube channel, Cut to the Point, are used to tutorials, but since this is a podcast, it's supposed to be more about concepts and less about technicalities. So yeah. not so much about this is how this program works or this is what I think about this. It's going to be kind of the minutia of relationships and what editing is and, you know, more... I don't know how to say it, but like stuff from your gut and stuff that you have to be there in the moment for. Ricky, actually, you're the one who came up with the idea for the podcast. So uh, can you say a few words about it? Sure. I mean, we were having live sessions in the Editing Chef, which is a course for editors that Peter created. And during these sessions, we would talk about questions and challenges editors face. And I was like, hey, why don't we make a podcast with a similar approach so that we can kind of share this information to the world, so to speak, or anybody who's interested yeah, and that's what we do. <laughs> By the way, uh, Peter Piotr is the same name for, for those of you who, could, who don't know me. Uh, so when, when Ricky says Peter, it's just the same as Piotr. To be honest, we don't really have much experience in podcast creation. We are video editors, as we, as we said. So we want to address some questions and misconceptions and facts about the relationship between a director and an editor. And to share a few stories from our personal experience and we hope that that structure will work but you know you'll be the one to judge so if you have any feedback regarding how we did this first episode share it with us like we are available on twitter uh, wherever actually so send us a, an email to contact at cut to the point.com okay let's start the conversation shall we let's start it <laughs> Ricky, I will start with the first misconception that I think many people who are not really editors have. Like even people who work on set, like cinematographers. People tend to think that director's role is pretty much over once he leaves a film set. He or she, of course. What do you think about it? Is this um, something you actually like heard people say? I could see that being as a misconception. I've definitely worked with directors who thought that their job was done <laughs> as soon as everything was finished yeah. and were kind of taken aback that I'd be like, hey, what's going on with this? And they're like, I mean, obviously, these are people who are first time directors. So, um, you know, it's a learning process, especially with that film project, that first project that anyone's working on. But yeah, I feel like if you were to even ask an average person, they would probably say the same thing because in most people's mind, I would think that the director is just to be there for the shooting and directing the actors and directing the camera rather than like also directing the edit. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Good. How did so, it yeah. work for your uh, recent project? Because uh, for those of you who know, Ricky actually edited quite a big documentary uh, called Holding These Moments. It took you how many? Four years? And <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 I'm curious about how much of involvement there was from both you and the director. So our situation was pretty... I don't want to say special, but it was a, a unique situation because the director was in LA and at the time that we were starting the, the project, I was living in Denver. Um, and it took four years because kind of life gets in the way. It was a project that we were doing that wasn't necessarily something that we were getting paid for. It was a passion project. And within those four years, I also ended up moving out of the country. I lived in Puerto Rico and then I lived and currently I live in Germany. So that made things a little bit different. The director, Dan Ellswick, it was his first project. Despite that, he was still better than some directors that I worked with in regards to like being attentive. I also had worked on a previous documentary, so I kind of knew kind of what was going on. So I was kind of holding his hand in, in a little bit of it, which is, you know, that's what you do when you're helping friends out and, yeah. you know, doing something that's new. So that wasn't so much of a big deal. But so what we did is we shot too many interviews for this documentary. And so he had, he ended up actually transcribing it, which is something that directors don't usually do. So he kind of went above and beyond what he would have done yeah. because it was kind of like a passion project and it was a first project. There wasn't a lot of po or, um, pre-production done, done on it. So that kind of made things a little bit more difficult. But once we started getting into it, getting into the interviews and after everything was transcribed, we would make like a paper edit where he would be like, he would send me a. RTF or a Word document with the words that he wanted. And then I would put them together as like a director's selects reel, like, okay, this is what it looks like when it's all put together. And then I would just basically cut it down. So that was kind of most of what it was. Once everything was kind of built out, then I would send him the cut. He would send me notes and we would just go from there. I think maybe within that four years, I think there was only a handful of times where he actually like sat with me. But In my experience, mostly when you're working with the director, whether they're with you or they're not with you, they're really not doing anything until you show them a cut and then they can like give you feedback and stuff. They're never over yeah. your yeah, shoulder. Yeah, most of the time that's the case. Yeah. So. Definitely. Although there, it, it depends, as you said, some, some of the directors, even though like very rarely a director will transcribe anything, like yeah. <laughs> it's only for uh, projects with very little budget, passion projects, as you said. But even for big productions, director will quite often like watch dailies and give uh, his or hers notes about mm -hmm. which takes he considers to be the best, uh, mm -hmm. which are kind of printed takes, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. But really like the collaboration and, and the work for the director starts with the first cut, with an assembly cut. You know, there are na many names for it, like script, edit. I, I've seen like dozens of names for it. But mm -hmm. with that first shaped story edit, this is where the true collaboration begins. And we'll talk about it a little bit more in a moment. But I, I do want to share my perspective yeah. on it. Tell us. I don't have much uh, narrative experience, but two short films uh, I edited uh, this year. For both of them, I actually collaborated with the director a lot. And from my perspective and my point of view that I had when I worked in the post-production house a few years ago, which was mostly about commercial projects. Mm -hmm. Very often people thought, and I could see it on the set, and I, I could see it in the editing room as well, that director is not involved 
anymore. And also that the editor, and this is the second misconception we will like address in a moment, that the editor just follows the script, just follows what has been set up for them earlier. Many people see it this way. And I think it's so far from the reality. So for, for one of the short films uh, called Little Bird, I edited with uh, Pantelis, a director from Greece. You know, our collaboration was, was uh, again, unique because I am in Poland, he was in Greece, and he actually shot the film in New York. So we always had a look at what I did. So my uh, script edit and things like that. And then this conversation started. So we, we had the conversations about scenes, about shots we uh, choose at any given time, and uh, later on about the whole script structure. And we actually end up, ended up restructuring the film a little bit compared to what was written in the script. We deleted a few scenes. And these are things that, that do take a lot of time, actually, and a lot of consideration. So, for example, you know, if for a short film, you may spend like five or six days on the set. And in the editing room, just talking about whether or not we should delete a scene or whether or not we should move it into a different position and how we can do it so that there are no continuity issues. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it can take more than, than, than a few weeks, you know, even for a short film. So... Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's what I mean about this preconception that, that people have. Like, the director is very much involved and he, sh- and he should be involved because a film is essentially his vision. And the way I see our profession, like profession of an editor, is that we are like advocates of the story. Mm-hmm. But we For are sure. not owners of the story and we should not be. The director is. Like, actually, you know, the, the cumulative experience of all the people involved is where the ownership belongs in my opinion but the director is obviously the head of it so yeah that's the way i see it i i agree and the director is very much involved in it as we are and i think it leads us pretty nicely to the second misconception which is that editor just follows the director's commands orders or the script whatever has been written set up for him beforehand. Yeah, that's something I think you kind of just touched on that with what you were just saying is that a script, whether it be narrative, especially in documentary, is that it never reaches the screen what's exactly on the page, which I think a lot of people don't understand. Um, Because of like you said, there's this uh, collaborative and cumulative effort between at the very end, the director and the editor, what looks good on paper doesn't always look good on screen. And so, like you said, you cut stuff out, you shorten things here, you take out this line, you put this line in. Um, that, I mean, that's pretty much why you hear of larger productions or actually any production who has the budget or the time that they have uh, reshoots because yeah. there's something that was missing and they didn't even think about it then or it wasn't able to happen and stuff. And so that's why they go back and, and uh, do reshoots. In regards to being an editor and expecting that, or a director is expecting that I'm just basically going to be a button pusher. I mean, that's not how I like to work. And it's, I feel like even though it might be a misconception, I luckily, I don't think there are a lot of directors, at least that I've experienced that are really like, just do what I tell you to do. Don't do anything else. I don't want to know about your, about your uh, ideas and stuff. Yeah. I've done at least two full length documentaries and 
some shorter things. Even when I was working in um, a production house like you were on commercials and stuff, most of the directors would give you kind of a frame of an idea regardless of what they had shot. And then you could just throw something together and then that's when you would have this collaboration. Here's what I've done. Does this work for you? What do you think? Then that's where the conversation uh, will start. Yeah, I think that misconception is not really believed by directors. It's mostly believed by people who are not involved in that, in that post-production process. It's very far from true because even for films that people don't associate with editing, like for example, 1917, which is one take film, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shot by, uh, directed and written by Sam Mendes. It was edited by uh, by a great great editor. Uh, what was his name? I just I just need to recall. We have the internet. <laughs> yeah, let let me just check. <laughs> Nineteen seventeen editor. Google it. Hey, Lee Smith. Of Lee course. Smith. How could I forget? So Lee Smith and you know Sam Mendes himself said that uh, he had a tremendous role at bringing the story to life. Because even though it's one shot, the editor actually thinks about how to progress the story. Because if it were only up to the film crew, they are not seeing the thing in the context. They also don't have this experience of taking audience on the ride of emotions. Because that's what editors do. So yeah, they are able to judge which shot was great, which which had the best continuity, which one had the best performance, obviously. But they do not see it in context. And sometimes, for a given scene, you don't want the best performance, you know. And I, I I've had it a few times on a project I worked on, that I talked to the director, and we actually came to a conclusion that we can't have this best take at this stage of the film because mm-hmm. the historic arc for the for the character wouldn't work you know mm-hmm. so even for a cold little bird the short i mentioned a, a moment ago we had this moment with with claire which plays mother of a, of, of the kid which the short is about and we had a very good performance in one one of the scenes early on in the film but she played it like she was very worried in that scene and it didn't mm-hmm. belong there because at first she was ignoring the situation that was going on and things like that. So it didn't suit. Even though her performance was, was great, we couldn't include it in, in mm-hmm. the film so that her arc actually plays with the whole film. Uh, and that's what we do. So, so Lee Smith, you know, he, he was responsible for a lot of decisions that you don't even realize are there, you know, and mm-hmm. that's... That's, I think, the biggest takeaway. Yeah, perfectly stated. <laughs> so <laughs> don't believe that directors are just telling editors what to do, people, because that's not what happens. Yeah. But let's talk about the next misconception, which is that a director will want to work with the most experienced editor he can find. I think that that's true to an extent, Yeah. especially with bigger name directors that you know. So like the Steven Spielbergs, Martin Scorsese's, et cetera, et cetera. You'll see that a lot of them will have the same editor through throughout their career. They'll be working with the same people. Yeah, but the reason for it 
actually is not because they are the best like the, the not not because they have the most experience because like for example for Felma uh, shoemaker schoolmaker Thelma Schoonmaker. Thelma Schoonmaker. Thelma Schoonmaker. <laughs> so, uh, for example, with her, if I recall correctly, she wasn't really that experienced when she first started to work with Scorsese, but nor was Scorsese. You know, he just right. started early and he kept working and he kept getting better. And that's what I think many people forget. So for first-time directors, very often they do want to get the best editor they can afford, the, more, the most experienced one. But I think that's not the best approach they actually should have. Because at the end of the day, it's not about how experienced someone is if you have to battle his own ego. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For example, secondly, you need to like to spend time together. If you don't, you will suffer and the film will suffer because of it. Like there is no other way. So, yeah, only to a certain extent. I think that a director who knows why the editor does what he do and what does he do best, he will actually look for someone he likes to work with, he enjoys his companion, mm-hmm. and he knows that he will never br- be afraid of bringing any idea to the table and that the editor will be honest with him. So when he agrees with director's vision, he will say it and he will say what may be wrong about the idea, but he will try it anyway. But if he strongly disagrees with something, he will state it, but not from the ego point of view. He will state it from the point of view of how do we actually resolve the problem because I can spot there is a problem here. He will explain the problem. He will try to show a few possible scenarios about how the problem can be overcame. And that's, that's the way he will communicate with the director. You know, there will be no fear. There will be just how can we make this work best? Because it's not your vision. It's not my vision. The story is there and we need to serve the story. So that's, that's what I think the director most often looks for in the, in that relationship between, between him and the editor. And obviously the experience of the editor is important, but only to the extent that the director feels safe that the editor will not will not destroy his work, but it, it it doesn't have to be the person who edited ten feature films. But the way he communicates and other things uh, that I just stated are on spot. I think he will be willing to take the risk, more than willing. For sure, it's synergy, not a battle, and a synergy is basically working together. Obviously, the director is emotionally wrapped up into this idea, into this project, because it is his baby, so to speak, or his or her baby. And the editor is there to help them. And they, you know, they are invested in it just as much as the director. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, the editor has a more, he's not as emotionally invested in it as the director is. And so yeah. in a way he can see the solutions and the and the hazards and the problems with a much clearer view than the director can. And I think that goes back to what you were saying about how even though maybe you got the best take, the actor or the actress was great. They did exactly what they needed to do. They hit their marks. You know, it was awesome. But within the story, if it doesn't work, then, you know, it doesn't work regardless of how the director feels about that take being the best that it was. So I think that's how successful 
editing and directing relationships need to work or that's how they work. Yeah, synergy is the best way to describe it. You're right. I don't know if you played Diablo. Have you played Diablo? I haven't, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So in Diablo, like in Diablo 2, you actually have synergies. So, you know, you have one skill and you can... The way you make the skill very good is actually by investing in other skills. And I think, you know, it actually relates to life as well. So, for example, for for any editor, I think that writing is one of the most powerful synergies you can get, actually, you know? Mm-hmm. Especially if you're a documentary editor, you need to know how to write. And also reading a lot of stuff, it also helps. Like, just, just dealing with stories, whatever they are, what, whatever medium they are. These are all synergies and the way the relationship works and the way the best films are edited is with the use of synergy. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I've talked uh, to Jim Cummings in March this year and he's quite a unique filmmaker because he does a lot for his films. So for the beta test, which he's releasing this year, he played a lot of a lot of roles in it. And one of them is editor, so he edited the whole thing. But he said to me that he was always open to idea of anyone who was crossing the room, you know, who just saw what he was doing, who just stood behind his shoulder and just had some sort of feedback. He said to me that, you know, this is the way he, he always wants to do it, because he do want to have these first impressions from people who are not really married to the material that much. Mm-hmm. So yeah, synergy. Synergy is the best way to describe it, 100%. To go off your point about writing as a synergy for um, an editor, not necessarily writing, but basically knowing how stories should work and flow for them yeah. to be successful. And I think that if you're an editor and you start out with just being an editor, because of the nature of the beast, you are kind of forced into that writer role. It's basically forcing you to to that path of how successful the idea that you're trying to get across will be. Yeah. I didn't start out as a as a writer per se. Over years and time and stuff like that, I started it was almost like osmosis where I was editing and I was creating these stories, regardless of what it was, either a commercial or an awareness video, what have you, you kind of pick up on those skills already. So as you get deeper into it, you know, 20 years I've been into it. So now I know I have that, that skill. It just kind of like, you just accumulate that experience where now I'm actually like, okay, now I can actually, I feel confident enough that I can write where I, then I will start to write something if that makes sense. So yeah. for me, at least that's how it worked. But yeah, I mean, if you're already a writer, then you might be a good editor. Uh, they also say like, if good editors are also good f- um, filmers or camera people because they know the shots that they need. There's a synergy in, in every skill that we have, especially within filmmaking. Before we continue, a short message from our sponsor. Cut to Reveal is brought to you by Studio Network Solutions. SNS is helping video teams all around the world to transform the way they store, share, and organize media. SNS combines high-performance shared storage hardware with intuitive media management software, remote editing tools, and integrations for all major analysts, including Avid, Premiere Pro, DaVinci Resolve, and Final Cut Pro. I've been using it myself, and Share Browser, their mom software, is definitely something anyone working in post-production will appreciate. Not only does it allow you to manage and create metadata, tags, etc., but it also lets you download preview files that you can use for proxy editing. 
These low resolution files are automatically generated once you drop the footage on their Evo thanks to their unique Slingshot API that can automate many processes for you. Let's face it, there is no such thing as too much storage for our projects. But the more storage you have, the harder it is to find what you need. That's why their Evo shared storage servers provide high performance for real-time 4K or even 8K editing and also include an entire suite of features designed to help you organize and manage your media. Visit snsevo.com for more details. And now back to the podcast. We have a few facts we want to kind of mention. So yeah, the first one is that the best directors have a great sense of how editing works and the power it possesses. Yeah, And I, I think it's 100% true. And also learning about editing helps with directing as well. And I think the best, probably the best example that comes to my mind is actually uh, Jim Cummings again. You know, mm-hmm. the, the guy is actually an editor. He has been editing films he, since he was a kid. You know, people say that, at least I've heard it a few times, that actors make the best directors. And uh, I, I disagree with that. I think that editors actually make the best directors Obviously not all of them because it takes a certain personality to, to be a director and if if an editor doesn't have it he will never direct successfully or maybe not never but unless he he does gain these skills that are needed but just the skill of acting and performing is not enough i think the sense of shaping the story and how the narrative needs to work uh, and the emotions and how they change throughout the film. This is the crucial thing. So so Jim Cummings, again, he's an actor, he's an editor, but I think that the, the most beneficial skill for him as the director is actually editing, not acting. Yeah. I don't know what he would say about it, but I have a feeling he would agree. Not to say that actors can't be good directors. Obviously, um, yeah. But I think maybe there's a specific perspective that they're coming from. Like, yeah. obviously... When you're a director, you are in a way running a daycare. <laughs> yeah, you got a bunch of different personalities and a bunch of egos. Um, and what better to know those type of egos than an actor himself or herself? Yeah. So definitely from that perspective. But yeah, it can get kind of weird in just assuming because they're an actor and they're on sets all the time that they automatically would be a good director because of that experience when. We know that films aren't just the film shoot. There's more to it. There's yeah. a story afterwards and all the post-production. No, I, I mean, I do agree. Like, you know, the, a lot of good actors actually would make good directors as well because of that alone. Yeah, yeah. Because of the reasons you said, reasons you said alone. Yeah. The other, the other thing I wanted to mention was that kind of like his, how you said Jim Cummings. Jim Cummings, yeah. He's a director. He's an actor. He's an editor. He does a lot of his own things. Um, and I think because he is basically coming from a place as an independent filmmaker. Like, I think there's a lot of great filmmakers that had to do that. I'm thinking of George Romero, who did Night of the Living Dead. He was a director. He edited most of his own films. Eventually, he didn't, but he also shot a lot of his own films. Um, Kevin Smith, you know, Clerks and Mallrats and whatever. He Pretty much every film that he does, but he's the director. He edits it and stuff like that. So a lot of these directors, well-known directors, whether you like their work or not, a lot of them are doing all their own stuff. And if they aren't doing them all the time, as in like, I'm going to shoot this and then I'm going to edit it, they at least have the the skills or understand the skills 
that need to go into that. And it's not just a post-production thing, but it's also a production thing, that synergy that we were talking about. It kind of all plays into itself. And it's good to either have that knowledge, even if you're not going to be using it, because knowledge is power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the best directors actually love the editing process. Like Spielberg loves it. Uh, Ron Howard loves it. Like, <laughs> yeah. And they are aware that this is where they rewrite the, the film for the last time. Yeah, the editing is powerful. It's beautiful. And I think they appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. but but again, they, they wouldn't want to do it alone because they know that having that fresh perspective and, and just the second, you know, person to, to bounce ideas from is just invaluable. Yeah, for sure. Shall we cut to the second fact? Yeah, what's the tell us what's the second fact? <laughs> I mean, probably there are more, but there are a few that we want to address. Yeah, so the yeah. next one on the list is that the biggest challenge in narrative editing is a fresh perspective, and that's why a trusted collaborator is such a great asset to have. I'm dealing with it right now. You know, I'm I'm editing a short film. We're almost done for Darius Breed. D for Darius, mm-hmm. for those who, of you who know him from YouTube. He's an amazing director, but uh, we have been struggling with having a fresh perspective because the way we edited the whole thing is quite unique. We haven't fo- followed the script like at all because due to COVID, Darius wasn't really able to recall all of the scenes he intended mm-hmm. to record. Yeah, And once we picked it up, from the floor last year, uh, we decided we're going to find the story in the footage we already have. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And we, we kind of edited the whole thing like a documentary in a way where we, mm-hmm. you know, watched the footage and tried to restructure everything so that it works. And now that we did it a few times, we have had like a few versions of it. It's so hard to have a fresh perspective on it to see it from the point of view from the audience member who sees it for the first time. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's the biggest challenge for the narrative editing. What do you think about it, Ricky? I think that any editing, especially when you are that close to a project, there it's very hard to separate yourself from it um, because you've been sitting so close to it for the entire time. Yeah. Especially for you, with uh, you're trying to make the same dish but with less <laughs> ingredients. It's good to basically bring in other people having a producer come in or somebody who hasn't been sitting in the editing room as much as the other people are with maybe a caveat of like, this is the kind of the idea we're going for, or maybe not even a caveat being like, this is what we've got. Does this work or does this make sense? Um, I know that we sent out the documentary holding these moments to a lot of people uh, to be like, what do you think of this? Does this work? Yeah. And not necessarily people that are in the quote-unquote industry or other editors and directors that we know, but also people who aren't, who are just kind of like the average person. We're holding these moments. It was a, basically a punk rock band. So like we were showing it to people who don't, weren't necessarily into punk rock and just so they could see, okay, does this story work? Is it accessible? And hoping that they can either give us notes or not. And I definitely agree that a fresh perspective the deeper you get into a project, it gets a lot harder. You're absolutely right. Like, it doesn't have to be a narrative project. Like, we should actually rephrase it, yeah? So, <laughs> the biggest challenge in editing is yeah. having a fresh perspective. Yeah. Period. <laughs> should we get on to the next? Let's go to the next fact. one. Yeah. So, the, the third fact, because we're dealing in threes here, 
yeah. is communication and trust are paramount to the relationship between the most successful director editor teams. Yeah. I think that we've kind of been talking about that this entire time. Yeah, we, in a way. You know, it's about if you and the director get along or the director and the editors get along. That's how that's how movies in general are made, not just between the director and the editor, but Yeah, obviously you still need terms. to be good, right? You, you oh, still sure. have to be yeah, able yeah. to pull it off. But the the skill, the actual skills of editing is not like the crucial element. There's a quote from George Romero, who I mentioned earlier, yeah. where he was asked, like, would you rather work with somebody who doesn't have the chops yet, isn't as skilled, but you would enjoy working with, or would you rather work with somebody who has the skills, but is just basically a dick, yeah, <laughs> an asshole. And he was like, I would go for, and he basically said, I would go with the guy who doesn't have the chops yet. Yeah. It would be more that he was somebody that you would want to collaborate with that will have ideas that will have your back. They would know that the story that you're trying to tell, like they're in it with you to see it through successfully. Yeah, I think, you know, this this fact is important to bring it up because because sometimes people forget it, you know, and also they focus on wrong things. You know, the the reason why, in a way, I thought it's, it would be good to have this podcast medium here is because uh, tutorials on YouTube won't take you far, you know, basically just technicalities and, and knowing how to run your NLE is not enough. It takes you through the beginning stage and it is important. You have to know these things, of course, but the things you need to focus on at some point is how you actually communicate, how, what perspective you take when you're dealing with certain problems. How do you know, how do you solve problems for directors and how do you shape the story and things like that. So I think that very often people spend 80, 90% of their time uh, when they are thinking about honing their skills on technical side of things, on mm -hmm. the camera they use, the computer they have, the, the, the knowledge of their NLE, and maybe another 10% of storytelling factor. And a lot of people don't spend time at all honing their communication skills, you know? And I think that's the reason why I thought it would be great to bring this fact up and to actually state it. Because I think you do have to think about it consciously when you are trying to become a better editor. That this is one of the skills and it's not that you are born with it. You can actually hone it. You can actually learn it. You can actually improve in it. So, yeah, I think that's what I wanted the takeaway to be. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think it's often taken for granted that you would need those kind of skills in communication, specifically because editors usually are like sitting in a room by themselves. It's never usually like a group experience when you're editing something. It's always one person. And when you see stuff about like learning skills, it's more about the skills of, like you said, technicalities programs and whatever, and, and less about communication and being personable with people and like learning to talk to people, which is, it's something that happens over time. Like you can't, there is no tutorial. I mean, I, there probably is a tutorial on how you communicate with somebody, how you be personable with someone, but like all things, nobody is going to be an expert at it right off the bat. Like yeah. this comes with time. Like how I had mentioned before about like, I became a writer through editing. 
It's the same with communicating. Like the more clients that you work with, the more times you interact with people, that's how you hone those skills. Yeah, definitely. That's why it's, you know, it's best to actually do a lot of little projects before you're ready to do a big one. Many people think that they have to have like a great piece of film ready to show right away. They they can't mm. fail. And mm-hmm. I think it's not the case. I think the, if, if your end goal is to be actually a great storyteller, a, a great filmmaker, you should actually try to work on little projects, on drafts, on, you know, all things that will just sharp that knife, that storytelling knife that you own. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. While I agree there is no ready-to-go tutorial that you can just implement in a day on how to communicate with a director and how to build a relationship with him. At a certain point, I, I have to stress once again that it is a skill you, you can learn. But again, mm-hmm. just as you said, learn by doing Yeah, learn by doing it. Yeah. And I think the best way to summarize all that we talked about is actually to try to answer a question. What does a director want from an editor and vice versa? So what do you think? What does a director want from an editor and what does the editor want from a director? Is this something we're answering or we're having people tell us what they want? <laughs> I, I think we, we should try to answer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So for me personally, it's all about communication. For my own part, I always am the one asking all the questions because I want to make sure that I'm on the same page with the people that I'm working with, mm-hmm. regardless of if they're a director or not. So I want a director who isn't all ego, welcomes my input and output, someone who communicates and who knows that I'm on their side and as cheesy as this sounds is, is a nice person. Yep. I mean, I think that you, you attract more flies with honey in than vinegar, if you've ever heard that saying. Being personable really goes a long way. Yeah. So I think the director wants from editor, I think he wants an advocate, you know, someone who will do anything to protect the story, not someone who just wants to, you know, collect the payment, not someone who is really great at software, but also not someone who is really great at telling stories, but is a douchebag. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so I think he wants a friend. I think he wants an advocate. I think he wants a critical thinker, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not a yes man, but not someone who would argue about something you, you, he disagrees with. Just someone who will do anything to protect the story. So I think that someone who, who will treat the story and the film as his own baby, just as the director does, but not in a sense where it's my baby. I will protect it when, no matter what but in a sense of a marriage, a good marriage, where it's mm-hmm. our baby and we right. need to do whatever it takes so that it grows up to become a great human being. Right. So that's, I think, an analogy I would use. So in a way, a director is looking for, uh, you know, uh, a spouse. Yeah. Yeah, just, just someone <laughs> he's ready to marry, you know. <laughs> I think that's true, in a way, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And vice versa. Uh, You know, as an editor myself, I want a director who will be open to ideas and will listen to what I have to say and will trust in my intuition, in my knowledge of how stories are being shaped. 
but someone who also will think about these ideas critically, so will not mm-hmm. agree to them right away. He will challenge me, even if he likes what I did, he will still try to challenge me and you know give me give me this perspective of, okay, I love what you did, but how about we try a different approach just to see how it works? Maybe there mm-hmm. w- there is something in in that idea. So for example, again, coming back to Darius Breed, two weeks ago, I discussed a cut we had with him and he said, okay, I think we have a good working cut here, but how about we try to intercut a few scenes? And, you know, just, just this idea. So I think he liked what, what he saw in a way. Maybe he wasn't 100% happy about it, but he knew we are getting there. But he just had this idea. How about we go and we, we, we'll try to intercut a few scenes and we'll see how this new version will work. And that's what mm-hmm. we're doing right now. And I, I think I value that in a director, you know. I want someone who will challenge me, even if he likes what, what's already there. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what I have to say. And I like it. Good. Well put. Good. Well put. Uh, are we ready to close the, the session? I think today? so. I think I think we've said everything that there could be said about the editor versus director. And it's about synergy, and it's not a battle. That's the poster. I think we could just hang on our walls. <laughs> so synergy, <laughs> not a battle. Maybe I'll design a T-shirt like that. Uh, I think that that's good. Yeah, that's a good plug actually, because we, you know, if you go to cuttothepoint.com/slash/merch, <laughs> there's there, gonna there be shirts, people. A few sh- t-shirts to, to with the designs uh, I made. So uh, yeah, that I think editors will appreciate, and I think I, I will actually add it to the to the list. Director versus editor, synergy, not a battle. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay once again let us know how you like the first episode what do you want to hear us talking about in the future episodes in two weeks we'll probably go with episode where i talk with jim cummings so with my jim cummings interview stay tuned for that and any review on your podcasting platform any feedback will be appreciated so send an email to contact at cuttothepoint.com we'll be happy to hear it we'll be happy to read it we'll be happy to reply to you and maybe even mention uh, it in the next episode so yeah maybe we'll do a section like that that'd be great so once again thank you yeah thanks everybody cut to reveal is a sub-brand of cut to the point to learn more about what we do including some premium resources for editors visit cuttothepoint.com or just find the cut to the point channel on youtube that's it see you